Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses, and I am with my good friend, Matthew Garber, who is also a master in engineer. Hello. And today, we want to talk to you about what is mastering, what does a mastering engineer do, what does a mastering engineer not do, and everything else that goes into it that you may not know. So, Matthew, are you ready? Oh, oh yes. This will be This will be a good one. Excellent. So, Matthew, what is mastering? Tell us about that. Okay, so as subjective as that question's answer may be, mm-hmm. what I define as mastering is essentially, it's like, or you, you, you can go like very textbook and you can say <clears throat> that it's the last creative step and the first step in distribution of a record. Yeah. Um, essentially, it's the last chance to catch any mistakes and maybe catch something before it goes like into distribution. Yeah. Um, essentially, once the master is released, like there cannot be any flaws in the master. Right. And just to clarify, um, clarify, distribution is getting your music out to the public. Yes. Via yeah. CD or Spotify or iTunes distribution. Yes, and I don't really know the history beyond where I'm going to start. Yeah, that's uh, And fine. I'm sure it goes, be, and I'm sure it happened, like, there's history before this, but as far back as I know, essentially, mastering engineers used to be uh, the cool cats who used to operate the record lathes. Yeah. And, like, I mean, these, these were the guys who wore the lab coats to work, and... They were more scientific... Uh, Oh, they all had physics degrees. Yeah, previously worked for GE and Nikola Tesla and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these guys were geniuses. Yeah. Um. So, and then as as that evolved, um, I th- like whenever you started getting into what what is it called the RIAA curve? Yes. When you get into vinyl, and essentially there. Uh, they would help compensate for that, and er- and everything was decided on that. Okay, well, we're going to remove certain parts of this spectrum, and or of the, of the frequency spectrum, and uh, we're going to allow it to be added back in with the use of a phono preamp. Yeah, and that uh, that essentially just saves us tons of more. Like like we just have so much more working room on these records. Yeah. than we previously did. So. Um, they would do that, and they would prepare everything for vinyl. Then moving into, uh, mo- moving away from that, they would essentially just prepare for the uh, the digital media, or even before that, on on, yeah. on cassette tapes and whatnot. And then everything just got really, really, really loud. Um, <laughs> right. So, but in terms of like a history of mastering, I think that's like. The dirty version. Do you right. do you have a cleaner version of that, Sam? No, I mean that sounds correct. Like, I think the big thing with that is the RIA like equalization that started to happen back in I think it was like the forties or fifties. Sure. I'd have to look it up, but I thought it was like forties or fifties. Um, that you know, once that started happening, I feel like mastering started to kind of plant the seed of what it is today, which. Yeah. Like for me it's still about taking a mix and getting it ready for, you know, a proper release, release and distribution, but it's more so, you know, for me like enhancing what's great about a recording and hiding anything that's going to 
hinder it from translating, you know, to the consumer and making sure it it does all fit, you know. And years ago it was more so like fitting it all on a CD, you know, with time and everything. But yeah. now it's, you know, you kind of have unlimited time because you're doing digital for most right, stuff. So I just looked it up. The yeah. RIAA equalization was intended to operate as a de facto global industry standard for records since 1954. There you go. Okay, so that's close. So, 40s, so there 50s. you go. And, I mean, if you ever want to hear what your record actually sounds like, just don't use a phono preamp. Mm-hmm. Or if it's built in, you've you got to figure out another way. But right. uh, essentially bypass the phono preamp, and you'll hear essentially all the bass and all the high end is cut out. Right. Um, so, yeah. That that's what it does, and I mean, with with bass, you're just going to have this swing of a groove, and you can yeah. create. I think what they called it is, a, and I I'm probably talking out of my butt on this. <laughs> um, I think they called it a ghost groove because whenever they cut into the lacquer, the lacquer has to be like within a certain temperature range. Yeah, <clears throat> and if the groove swings uh, pretty violently toward, say you have like a like. You just have like a big kick, or the the bass just drops pretty hard. Yeah, uh, and it's it swings that groove uh, because the groove prior is still malleable and pliable and soft. Yeah, it can actually pull that groove towards it, or it can leave an impression of interesting uh, the bass groove in hmm. that thing. So actually, you're hearing it, and I you you essentially be hearing it like before it happens. Yeah. So and that's but, cool, or but interesting. Cut, cut record cutting has has gotten a lot better because now you have, or like uh, I I think with the uh, Neumann and Scully lathes they did this is that you feed it through some type of computer system the, the, you feed the signal through it yeah and there's a little bit of a delay on it yeah I don't know the exact delay but essentially it's like reading ahead of time saying okay well I'm going to we're going to need to move the cutting head yeah uh a little bit further ahead than we normally do to compensate for what's about to happen yeah so it's like this stuff is incredible and awesome yeah it's I want to learn more about it yeah and that's mainly for vinyl we're talking about obviously oh yes yeah. oh yes which is so, lovely that it's coming back Oh yes, but getting into CDs and whatnot, yeah, you had uh, essentially you would have your master CD, like your your duplication right. CD, which would be it, it was glass, correct, Sam? Yes, yep. I think it was. everything was everything was written onto glass, and then that was your master. Yeah, like that's actually like what the mastering engineer is like. That's what they're making. They're making the master. They're making the master copy. Yeah, as with vinyl. It's handed off to a the lacquer is handed off to a pressing plant, and then they plate it or they wash it a bunch, and then they plate it. Uh, I think it's a nickel plate. Yeah, and yep. you're eventually able to peel off this. I think this. I think it's like first you're washed, and then I think there's a silver that's put on it, and then it's dunked in uh, nickel plating for a couple hours. Yeah, and then it's finally hard enough to where then when you peel it off. Um, which the nickel is hard enough that you can peel it off. Yeah, it uh, it's hard enough that it can create it, it creates a positive stamp. Yeah, so you have a A side and a B side. Yep, which is then put on uh, a very heavy duty stamper, and then you have this 
I think they call it a biscuit. It looks like a hockey puck. Yes. They put the top and bottom labels on either side of this biscuit, and then it gets pressed out. Yeah. So it's a very archaic but beautiful process. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it in person. I've only seen it just in just in videos. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, you, you get from that. So, so that, that, that created the master. Then you had right. the master. Uh, well, I guess you had the master tape, but then you get the master CD. Right. And now it just, you get, instead of that glass disc, you have a DDP. Right. So, <clears throat> and that will essentially serve as in place of, instead of that, uh, in in place of that glass CD, right? Yeah. So it essentially you can't destroy it unless you corrupt it in right, some way, right? Which is so, why we've moved to DDP because it's more reliable and all the information's in it, and it's essentially foolproof is the yeah. idea, and it allows us to transfer. You know, no longer have to mail a CD somewhere and then have the glass cut for it and then make your CD. You can just upload the DDP instantly, and they start making your CDs essentially. So there you go. It's pretty great. I like DDB. I have not had a problem with it, unless you have somebody open it. Right. Yeah. That's why I tell people <laughs> not to open it. Sometimes people if open it and poke around, and then it's messed up. <laughs> if they do something to it. Yeah. Nor- well, normally just somebody's curious, but if you send a like norm like, and, and I, th- I think you said that Triumph sent you a DDP player. I think you sent it to me. Yes. And. It's like now you can just send it to clients. Right. And say, hey, if you want to know what's in here, yep. you can go ahead and listen to your CD and how it will be like play back to the whole world. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm so waiting like, for like, uh, you know, DAWs to start putting that in to their software because it's so standard now. It's just kind of like, and a DDP player is like one of the most basic things you could ever make. It's like a megabyte size, you know, it's yeah. just like an iTunes, but. It's called DDP, and it reads DDP. So, well, I mean, and it shows you, like, if nothing else, like having the artist look at it as well and be like, "Hey, there was a spelling error right. on this song. Can we go ahead and like, can we reprint this DDP?" Right. Yep. And it's like having another set of eyes on that, which is funny because the role of mastering engineer is another set of ears, right? <laughs> on your thing. So to have another set of eyes being like, "Oh crap, I spelled this wrong," right. And you had it on your sheet wrong, and then you put it on here wrong. Yeah. Can we change that? So right. Yeah. Yeah, I've always just sent the PQ sheet, which a PQ sheet, for those listening, is basically the album information, song titles, the codes, uh, the album name, your artist name, and who mastered it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's another way. It basically contains all the information that's in the DDP minus, well, the stop, stop and start times, or stop and or start and stop time, sorry, are in there as well. You're all good. So um, that's a tongue twister. Stop, start, yeah. start, start. <laughs> so so what, would, what would you say the role of a mastering engineer is then, Sam? Well, I feel like we've circled around it before, but I'll say the first thing to me is listening. And when I get a mix, the first thing I do is organize my session and kind of organize it top to bottom of the track listing and I'll just listen to it and while I'm listening I am making mental notes on what I'm hearing um, what's good about it what I'll need to adjust um, 
to make it feel like one cohesive work. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll get, especially now, you'll have, uh, you know, an album could have like kind of three or four different genres going on. Or you could, I have albums that I've done where you have multiple mixers on it. Um, and mm-hmm. it all ideally would sound like the same people worked on it from start to finish. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, the rule for me is to make it feel like one set of, you know, one complete work, one complete body from start to finish. And um, once I listen through and I hear what I want to do to it, um, that then dictates what tools I'll use and what I won't use. So it'll, you know, I'll think, do I want to do EQ then compress or compress EQ or clean up stuff first? Or um, I'm just kind of making a mental checklist at this point. Um, I pretty much do it all in my head now um, because I kind of know my process and I've done it enough. Mm -hmm. But... um, just just really listening and making sure I know where the album's at and where it needs to go. And also listening to the client tell me like, you know, a lot of my clients have issues still with the mix, um, which is kind of an interesting thing because there's, we're just in an interesting place where like there's a lot of mixers. The majority of mixers I feel like have a revision limit. Um, and what they don't know is that their clients are still kind of upset with their mixes after, you know, two or three, even though they're out. Um, and so I get all that information. I kind of get that dumped onto me, I feel like. Um, hmm. A lot of, you know, 75% of the time they'll say like, well, the mixes were good here, but we just wish we could have had this, you know, mm-hmm. but we ran out of revisions or we ran out of time, you know, which is essentially ran out of revisions. <laughs> so you can word it however you want. Um, so how do you normally like react to that? So I always tell them my, um, you know, I get their expectations and then I tell them what I think we can actually do and not do. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, the client's like, you know, the bass is just not loud enough, you know, it's, it's then asking follow-up questions of, well, what about the bass? Do you mean bass guitar or the low end, like overall kick and bass? Um, You know, and, and what is it about it? Is it a, a thud thing, an impact thing, a sub thing? Is it an attack of the bass where actually it's not a low-end thing? It's the bass isn't cutting through enough, you know? So that's more of a mid-range high thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always follow-up questions um, of what they actually mean, and then I will tell them what I think I can do, you know, with my with my tools and tricks and things like that. Um, so that's it's kind of... a you know, a marriage of all that. It's a marriage of where's the album at, where do I think it needs to go, and where does the artist want it to go? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, that dictates what I'll use and not use and the approach to the album. So that's kind of, me, to me, like the, um, I'll say the fun, the fun part, creative part of it. And then the second part of like a mastering engineer to me is um, like we were talking about getting the album ready for just distribution. So that's like, you know, making your DDP, which is setting up, you know, typing in the song titles, putting the codes with it so it gets tracked properly, um, putting in all the metadata, uh, printing out multiple formats if that's needed, um, you know, doing instrumentals, doing a TV mix, kind of all the things that go with a standard delivery um, at a professional level. And then um, once that's done, then you give it to the artist, and you're kind of you're kind of done at that point. Um, 
you yeah. know, and they can listen to it all and maybe do a revision <laughs> or maybe not. It just depends on, you know, if you've nailed it the first time or if they want to tweak some things. But, um, you know, once I've done my work, I always listen down to it, you know, top to bottom in a couple places and make sure it's it's feeling right. But at this point, I trust my room more than anything. Um, so that's kind of like where, you know, if it sounds good in my room, then I know it sounds good everywhere else, which has yeah. been true, thankfully, for the last few years now. So that's kind of my my view of what I do. Um, a now, lot like... Of it, yeah, go ahead. Now, when, uh, when you're accepting work, yeah. do you normally only accept... Two tracks. I've had people send me uh, instrumental vocals, uh, background vocals, like like kind of different parts. Not like specifically, I guess what you would term as stems, but just yeah. like kind of like different parts, like like an instrumental. Say that like they just want to use the track for yeah. like cinematic or TV right stuff, um, and or maybe I just wanted to master the vocal and the background vocal yeah. separately and then blend that myself or something. Right. I don't accept that. I only accept two-track masters, but I just wanted to know where you stand on people sending you stuff like that, if you've ever gotten something like that. And yeah. then more specifically, just because people are asking for it more, what do you do about stem mastering? Right. So stem mastering, where they'll send me like drums, bass, guitar, vocals, synth, All effects. the tracks. Um, I pretty much, I will not do that anymore. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's mixing and that's almost producing because I'm deciding what's important and what's not um, for the most part. And uh, I do it for like one or two people in town, but they understand it's for people that have like publishing deals. And yeah. they just, they're a great songwriter, great producer, but they just struggle with like mixing and mastering, which is fine. You don't have to be everything. <laughs> like, so they'll send me stems and I'll mix and master it. But for that, it's just going for, like, pitches stuff. It's not being released. So I'm comfortable doing that, and I charge them a different rate for everything. But pretty much now what I do, and this is pretty standard, is, you know, your main master or standard master, that's what everybody's going to hear. And then I do an instrumental master, you know, which you can use for sync TV, you know, promotion, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Backing track if you're performing live, you know, if you're a rapper or DJ or something, I don't know. Um, And then a TV mix, which traditionally is, you know, like you are saying, like the lead vocals muted for a TV mix. So it's just background vocals. Um, Those three things are pretty much what everybody wants. I have had an increase of people wanting acapella mastered, which I don't really understand that exactly, but their thought process is for like remixes and stuff, um, you know, to hand... Remixes. Like for DJs. To like take the okay. acapella and put because yeah, that's yeah, becoming yeah, yeah. pretty popular to do like you know a remix of your song you've released to try and <clears throat> you know try and reach a different demographic or get in a different Spotify playlist or something. Um, yeah. So that's kind of smart. I like I support that, but I'll I probably about twenty percent of the time people will send me an acapella to master. Um, so I just you know I apply similar settings so it has at least the overall EQ on it, but it's not you know. It, it's coming back not as loud as a master. I'm not like chopping off 5 dB of it <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the main thing. Um, and I include that just in my overall rate. I've, I've decided that that's so standard now. And, um, you know, for 
for what I, I'd like to make and be compensated, I just include that in my rate now. And I, a lot yeah. of places charge extra for it. Um, but I, I don't know. It's better just to not like hassle. And- yeah, I don't nickel and dime people with that because, you know, once once the main <laughs> thing's mastered, the instrumental's pretty much getting the same thing. You know, you yeah. may have to, you know, I'll analyze where it's sitting because usually when you take a vocal out, the overall track's probably quieter by a dB or so. You know, so that'll mm-hmm. impact the compressor or whatever differently. So that you know, there's a very minor adjustment, but you know, the EQs stay in the same. Pretty much 99% of the things are the same. And then the, you know, the, the acapella or the TV or the TV mix is going to be pretty much identical to the instrumental, honestly. Um, and then the acapella is just going to be kind of what it is without like a final limiter chopping stuff off. So, um, so yeah, it's not, I mean, it takes time, but it's not near as, you know, to me, I always tell people like the main masters where I'm putting in my time and work you know, where I'm like really analyzing it, figuring out where it's at and where it needs to go. Um, and then the other versions, you know, they do take time because I have to print them and make sure it's done right. But, you know, if I'm being honest, like the main version is what takes the most time. And so... Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm not going to act like it. Some, I feel like companies act like, oh, an instrumental, I'll have to start all over and do it all over again. And it's like... <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's been mastering for a long time at those companies that do that and say that, they're pull on your leg so <laughs> I don't really support that yeah yeah but that's kind of how I um, that's how I usually approach those situations does that make sense no definitely okay cool I mean it's pretty well covered sweet um yeah let's keep moving down the list cool you want to go ahead or you want me to go ahead uh I want to ask you a question you can ask me a question okay I want to talk about the idea that you can only hear a song for the first time once and what that means with mastering. I can't remember who first quoted that, but I've heard, I've I've been studying uh certain mastering engineers and I mean it's kind of like my hobby of what I do in my right. free time, which is probably really nerdy. Yeah. But I want to study guys who have been in the game a lot longer than I have and there's a mastering engineer I found a couple of podcasts that he's been on and uh, he quotes this but he's quoting somebody else and I can't remember who that is but uh, <clears throat> it's essentially every time past the first time that you hear a song I mean you are you're you're in I mean let, let's put it this way if you're sitting in your car and you hear a song on the radio and it's just like blowing the top off in terms of the high end yeah and I, I guess it wouldn't be the radio. Say you were listening yeah. to a CD. Yeah. And two or three tracks down the line, you're no longer hearing that. Granted, those those artifacts and the and that that CD is more than likely still that bright. Yeah. But your ears have tuned and they've kind of like naturally like compressed and everything so that right. now it's a pleasant listening experience. Right. So the more you listen to a song and the more that you dive into it you don't really have that objective opinion that I believe a mastering engineer needs to be equipped with. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's essentially going to uh, mess with your decision-making. Right. Uh, which is, that's your job. Your, your job is to make decisions and relatively quick decisions before your ear changes. With that said, um, 
And something I'd like to ask you about, because I, I, I've never really asked you about this. Yes. Is, uh, is you really want to be taking, like, breaks for your ears. Right. Um, just listening to nothing or just going outside or... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you need to take a break for your eyes, too. You're sitting in front of a computer all day. Or right. Whatnot. So... Uh, what do you really do with like taking ear breaks and whatnot? Yeah, so basically my approach with my workflow is like I will organize the session usually like the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that like annoying organization work is done. The little admin work. Yeah, the admin work type stuff is kind of done. And I will usually listen that night to the album um, okay. with fresh ears. And I will make notes, and I may, not may, if I'm honest, I usually start to dial in things immediately because it's my gut mm-hmm. reaction. It's that, it's exactly what we're talking about, which is now, like... Now, with that, yeah. do you, like, dial in before you've ever, before you've listened to the first, like, the full song? Or do you, like, listen to the full song and then listen to it again and dial it in? Usually, I am starting to play <coughs> with the song immediately. Like after the okay. first, like getting to the bridge. So like I've heard a verse, a chorus, a verse, you know, a chorus, and then we're getting to the bridge. And usually by then I'm already making mental notes of like, oh, that, oh, the kick, oh, the scoop two, and oh, this, oh, the vocal. Where's the vocal at? I need more vocal. Like, oh, we're stopping. And I start to kind of, you know, just push some buttons, turn some knobs, and then I'll bypass everything, you know, for the next song and kind of like make a note. It's all, to me, like the first run, like we're talking about, it's all about my gut reaction at this point. Yeah. And my gut reaction now is like, I've, I mean, it's always right. Like it's my, it's my instinct and it's just my intuition. And I don't feel that way for no reason, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I may, you know, really get stuff kind of going and then, you know, the next day I'll dial it all in and... Um, I usually, I will only take a break between projects. So sometimes, um, you know, sometimes I've done two albums in a day if they need it. Um, mm. So it's like an album in the morning and then take a lunch break, you know, for a couple hours or even more than a couple hours, go to the gym, you know, get outside. I don't listen to anything. You know, if I'm at the gym, I won't listen to anything. I just give my ears a full rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do something, you know, later at night. Which, you know, there's the argument of like, oh, you're fatigued at night. But I really am quite yeah. disciplined with my life and my schedule and my health and my rest to where um, if I know I have a huge day, the day before mm-hmm. I am like going to bed early and like I am clear as can be for the next day and I don't do anything else. Like the only focus is those two things. You are pretty darn disciplined. I was texting you last night about this podcast, and it was 11.30 my time, and I think 10.30 your time. Yeah. You're like, all right, going to bed. And I'm like, right. Hmm. And I'm like judging myself <laughs> silently, and I'm like, no I'm up until yourself. like 1.30 in the morning. I don't have a project today, but right. <laughs> I'm up until 1.30 in the morning, and I'm like, man, maybe I should be more like Sam and go to bed <laughs> at a decent time. I mean, it's it's what I had to do, you know, for me. Like, some people oh, get can, it. can just cruise. You know, I got a buddy in Chicago who literally, you know, he's got two kids too, but, like, he can he can cruise on, like, two hours sleep, and he functions 
awesome. Like, mm. he crushes it still. And I'm just not that way. Like, I tried. I'm like, oh, I can do that too if he can. And, like, I'm just a zombie, and I, I'm i not my best. And I want to bring I my, get it, yeah. you know, my best self for my projects. So it's taken me, you know, it's probably taken me five or six years to get to that discipline, you know, of being like, you know what, I actually do have to go to bed at 1030. You know, and in Nashville, that's early. Like, you know, I, I miss out, a quote-unquote miss out. I don't feel like I do anymore, but... You know, when I started doing it, it's like saying no to people who are like, you know, meet me at the bar at 11. I'm like, I'm already in bed an hour ago. Like, <laughs> you're just starting and I'm already, you know, in my first. I'm wrapping up. Yeah, I'm already done. So, um, so yeah, with ear breaks, like, um, I just, I think I've built up to like a tolerance of like I can work, I can honestly probably do like six to eight hours of, you know, straight work. And be fine. Um, but I didn't used to be that way. And I also listen a lot quieter than I used to. And I think part of that's my room being set up better now. Have you um, ever measured it? How uh, loud do you listen? Yeah, it's like, um, I want to say it was like 80. It's like quiet. Wow. You know, I think a lot of people say like the golden is like 90 or 93. Um, so I'm below that most of the time. And, um, I just, I don't know. I've, I've learned to listen that way, and then I'll crank it up, you know. Uh, I usually crank it at the end, the last 10% working on it, just to make sure, see how it's going to sound. Because my every client, like, the first thing you do is put it on full blast, you know. <laughs> at least that's what my <laughs> clients tell me. So, and usually, like, it'll either be on KRK Rockets, you know. So it's like I turn up really loud just to hear, like, is something going to distort, you know, how... They're going to blast it first, so it's kind of like, I mean, my room doesn't distort, but you you can hear when things start to get pushed, you know, harder. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I do a quick check across the board on mainly the choruses. You know, I'll go to each chorus, I'll jump to each one um, with a marker and, you know, make sure they all feel right when they're super, super loud. And then now, I'll Do quickly, you have the rockets in your studio as well? No, I don't. I'm never, well, I... I had a pair for a while at a studio I was at, but um, I got rid of them. I just, I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. they're terrible. No, I was just curious because I know that's not your main right. pair of monitors, yeah. and I was just curious if you had like another listening room or something. Yeah, well, I'll take it out to the living room that has like the old JBL Centuries, which are really big um, from my dad like back in the 80s. Um, so I'll take it out there and plug it in through the preamp and stuff, because uh, that's where my record player's set up. Um, so I'll plug it into there and play it on there. And um, you know, between my room and that, that's all I reference. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then I'll send it off. I'll usually send it off, and then I'll go listen to it on earbuds like the next day or something, <coughs> or in the car. Yeah, I'll finally have it in the car. Um, but that's just kind of how I work, and that seems it. Not just seems it does work for me and my workflow and, and approach. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, the ear fatigue thing, like you know, I I think I've gotten to the point where I know when I need to quit. I honestly, I can just feel it. I mean, it's called fatigue for a reason. Like you can just yeah. feel your. For me, you I feel, feel like it. Junk. Yeah, I feel it in my head and I feel it in my um, my back a lot in my neck. Which, mm. you know, for a long time I thought was posture and I've worked hard on that. You know, another discipline, I bought one of those posture fixers this year. 
<laughs> that straps on my shoulders and pushes my back, correct? Um, and uh, so I know it's not really my posture anymore. You know, it's just, you're just tired. It's, mastering's like so focused, at least for me. You know, you're paying attention. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting paid to find the flaws and details, you know, nuances that were missed. Um, and you're getting paid to, to enhance those things and hide those things. So um, it's a lot of focus, but that's kind of how I approach it. How do you approach it? Um, <clears throat> I'm still trying to to fight the part where it's, like, disruptive. Yeah. Because it's, like, I have a short amount of time every day after my, like, regular 9 to 5 yeah. that I dedicate to mastering before I head home. Yeah. I mean, like, I have a wife and a kid, and right. like, you want to go see them. Right. <clears throat> and eventually, I want to do something like what you're doing to where you built out a room in your house that right. is acoustically solid and whatnot. And um, so, yeah, it's like I, I have, like, a set amount of time, but it's like I know that, like, I, I, I can tell when I'm hearing something weird or if I'm, like, tr- I've been trying to fix something for too long. Yeah. And it just keeps sounding different, and I just can't lock yes. it in or whatnot. And it, that, it just so happens to be around... I'm not saying that I have this problem every 45 minutes to an hour, but I can sense that there's like a little bit of fatigue that I have after about 45 minutes to an hour of doing it. Yeah. And I'll normally like go over to my phone and be like, Hey Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes, and she's probably going to do it right now. Yeah. Um, but... Like, I'll go outside or whatnot and just go hang out. Just, <laughs> I don't know, just, like, be around nothing. Right. So, I mean, that, I mean that's how I play it. And then I come back and I listen. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking here? Get <laughs> this out of here. Get this out of here. Get this out of here. We tried to say that, like, my big thing is I always try to say that less is more. And I'm like, where the hell am I stacking all this stuff right. in here? It's like, get out of here. Yeah. So normally it ends up it ends up working better for me. It ends up working better for uh, the client and everything else. So uh, when I get a project, I'm also like you. I'll listen to it. I'm actually really excited when I get a project. Like, yeah. One, it's also like, like, man, this is awesome. They trust me. So I normally like will listen to it. I'll actually I won't listen to anything good. I'll first listen to it on my phone. Yeah. Because like and it's not for any other reason than I want to know how this translates. Yeah. Like how does this translate as it is right now? Um and normally I also get projects at night when I'm not at the studio. Yeah. Uh if I do get it while I'm at the studio, I will listen to it there. Um, but I'm also like you to where I'll be making mental notes. I normally will not dive into a song until I've listened to it at least once. Yeah. But I'm still at the stage to where it maybe takes me, if I'm doing a full length, it'll probably take me, say, three or four hours to lock in that first song. Yeah. And then it'll take me maybe two hours to get the second one, maybe two and a half. And then it kind of dwindles down and then equals out. It's like when I have a rhythm, I'm I'm about like 45 minutes to an hour per song. Yeah. And that's when I get into a, a, a pretty solid groove with it. Yeah. But I'll normally listen to the song first and before I do anything else. And I'm having to tell myself several times to be like, Matt, don't touch anything. Stop <laughs> touching something. And And with the whole thing, you can only hear the song for the first time once. Right. Like, listening to it on my phone, 
is I think a lot different than listening to it in front of like oh, totally. my speaker or right. my monitors to where right. like I'm able to hear like every detail and nuance right. and make actual decisions. But normally if I do listen to it in like yeah. my little studio I have, like I w- the only thing I will do is I'll pull up an EQ that I trust. Yeah. And it's where like I can do like option and then click on it and then it will like zero in on that frequency and I'll be yeah. like, okay, cool, we do have a problem here and then I'll make a note of that. Right. Um, besides that, I normally won't touch anything. Yeah. But it's like if I want if I hear a problem area, I'll try to zero in on it so it can be like one of my first things that like I try to take care of. And I'm more right. like like whenever I EQ, I'm more of like a reduction person. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't really add. Yeah. Because I think that like we're kind of in an, like an era where people are just adding too much. Yeah. And a lot of it kind of gets lost sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, if anything, to try to bring a little bit of clarity, just trying to like clear the air a little bit. I mean, like anytime I'd mix front of house, it's like the first thing that I do is like, okay, well, we're, these are over, these are overheads for a drum kit. Yeah. I don't like, I can just dump in a low shelf here and then just slam it all the way over. It's like, I don't yeah. need any of this information right here. Right. So, and it's like, the first thing that I do with most things is like, okay, what can I cut? Right. Like, what room can I make here that this doesn't need that it could be like something else could be bleeding into, say, a microphone right. or right. Um, a microphone on a guitar amp or whatnot. Yeah. Um, or like what weird noise like would an acoustic guitar put out that I don't want that could mess up the, the mix like further on down the line. It's like totally. low end. It's like I want to make room for the kick, the floor tom, uh, yeah, rack tom and bass. I mean, those are like like let's go ahead and make just like a bunch of room just so I right. can like let those breathe. And it's just that's right. what I was doing front of house. But it's like in mastering, it's like like where can I make room and yeah. like where can I allow this to breathe? Obviously within within reason. I'm not just going to do it to do it. Right. But you have to have a reason to. Right. So absolutely. I mean, you you can add stuff down the line. Obviously, if. It's necessary, but I'm I'm um, a I'm a booster over a cutter overall. You're a booster. I am. I'm a booster. Uh, maybe when are you like a booster out of the box or in the box? I'm I'm boosting both usually. I bo- I boost because I I boost coming out of the box. Well, or I boost out of the box too into compression because compression my first compressor is usually going to take off something. Well, I do have side chain filter on it, so it's not touching low end too much. But um, I don't know. I just like the way low end feels getting boosted usually into the first yeah, compression. But it's got to be done the right way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I've shifted into. I mean, I do both. I do whatever's called for. But I'm I'm probably boosting more than cutting it the last few years. Um, and I've been mainly getting material that has like too much low end totally. or like even like the low end that like gets like really phasey and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of that and like a lot of stuff like down in the 20s that's not supposed to be there. Right. Like you can listen to something and just tell it's like that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. It's like and it's like I like will look at the pictures of the guy's studio and be like I know for a fact that he can't hear this. Right. So I'm just going <laughs> to take this out and I'll know that right. he can't hear it. Right. But or he or she or yeah. whatever. But uh, I haven't had a situation to where I've really needed to boost. And anytime yeah. I have, uh, I really haven't liked the result of it. And I've used like, 
solid amount of EQs yeah. and whatnot and yeah. and what I'm going to do. And <clears throat> normally for me, it's just cleaning it up. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, you change one thing and uh, on a two track and then you're going to go and you're going to affect something else somewhere else down Absolutely. the line. Yep. So normally if it's I'm cleaning up the low end and I'm not doing anything crazy, it's like, I mean, maybe I'm going over a dB a little bit. Yeah. But normally when I cut, it's like, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 is kind of where I am, like minus 0. 0.7, minus 0. 0.8. Yeah. I might go, if it's like something really crazy, I think like 1.7 is as much as I've, as, as much as I've cut. Yeah. And normally I'm a pretty skinny Q. Yeah. As well. Like normally it's somewhere between like seven and a half. Yeah. To uh, like 12. Yeah. So it's like a really, really skinny cue that I'm trying to get rid of, like stuff as well. So it's like normally I'm able to enhance the bass that's already there, the right. low end, just by uh, removing some of the stuff that probably can't be heard, right? In where it was tracked and mixed, right? Totally. So, I mean, that's. I, I think we've gone down the rabbit hole on this question <laughs> we have. a lot, but it's, but I mean it's that's good. what that's what you do. That's, that's what, what a mastering engin- engineer does. That's the what this next episode question is. is: What does a mastering engineer do? Right. So I think that's what he does. I, I, that, that's what he does. Goes down the rabbit hole. That's the whole job is to right. go down the rabbit hole of things. Right. And yeah. like you're literally dealing in. I I I don't know. Like me normally, if I like go near like one point eight. Like one to one point eight on like a ratio for compression. Yeah, I'm nor- I've normally gone too far. Yeah. So, but it's like just being like I don't know. I like one point six. I like one point four. I mean, that's the rabbit hole that you go down. Right. So, and it's like no, I think one point six shaves off a little bit too much. Let's yeah, dial it back. Yep. And it's such a stupid thing to be going back and forth about, but it's so important. It matters. Yeah, that's what I do. So, and there was a there was a mix engineer that I was talking with a yeah. couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, I said, "Hey, try this at this frequency." And it was maybe like a f- 0.4 dB boost. Yeah. And I was like, "Just see if you can hear it." Yeah. And he's like, "Holy crap! Yeah. You can hear this." I was like, "No, yeah, you can hear this." And I was like, "Okay, now take it down to like 0.2." Yeah. And he's like, "Holy crap! You can hear this." I said, "Yeah, cuts are a little bit more difficult to hear because you have to know what was there before." Right. But I mean, in terms of this, it's like you do notice a little bit of a difference. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that's that's really the realm that that I operate in. Yeah, most at my, most mastering engineers operate in. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah. Do you want to move on to what do mastering engineers not do? Yeah, let's move on to that. What we don't do. I don't do stem mastering. <sighs> yes, I would say I th- I'm not a stem <clears throat> mastering engineer guy. I mean, I know I talked about those, but those were. Two different situations. Well, a stem mastering engineer, there's actually a term for it, and it's called a mix engineer. Exactly. There you so go. So if you, so I'm not downing any mastering engineer who accepts stems. Right. Um, but what I am saying, and it's more of a like a charge to people who submit them, is if you can't get the mix sounding right, right. then you more than likely should go hire a mixing engineer. Absolutely. Because they are going to do an incredible job with whatever you give them. I yep. mean. They are they are blessed with many gifts that I do not have. Yeah, and I mean picking the right tool for the job is. I mean, I mean you're just gonna they they are gonna be worth their weight in gold. You're gonna pay right. for it, right? But they're gonna be worth their weight in gold. So. Right. 
I couldn't recommend that more. Yeah, stun mastering, so, like, if you're that far along and you still don't know what you want, then I don't even want to really take on the project to master because I, I have a feeling you have no idea what you want out of a master, so that's usually probably going to be a lot more work for me. Um, yeah. And realistically, um, at that point, I probably I may not even be able to give you what you want. You know, If you don't know what you want, then I can't give it to you. Well, and the um, weird thing, too, when I've gotten... Uh, when I've gotten a project that's been, like I said earlier, you have the vocals, you have the instrumental and yeah. everything, and when I had to ask for the two-track, the reason why I asked for the two-track is because I was like, well, I'll just master this how I normally do. Right. Like The first time I got it, and everything was at Unity, and there was like a balance problem with the background vocals. Yeah. And I was like, I know this mix engineer. Like I've studied his stuff, Right. and he doesn't make this type of mistake. Yeah. And so I said, hey, can you just send me the two track, either that or I'm going to have to ask you for some like mix revisions. I said, which I don't like doing um, and, and which you didn't ask for. Yeah. But I might, I'm going to have to do this. Can I just have the two track just to see? And he sent me the two track and everything balanced out. Yeah. So I don't understand that at all either. So, yes. I'm, so yeah, I, I don't like dealing with stems. I don't like. I don't like any of that stuff. I, I'm not a mix engineer. I won't pretend to be. Yeah. I'm I'm a mastering engineer. Yeah. And finalization is what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't do that. Um, I can't. I can't really adjust individual instruments. And with that, there's like a little parentheses. Uh, we can do certain tricks to bring out things or enhance things or even bring up a vocal or push a vocal back. Um, or certain elements, but mm-hmm. a lot of people approach me. <clears throat> a lot of the revisions, if I get them, are usually super specific where they're like, hey, the hi-hat's like too loud or did you move something? I get that too sometimes where people will say like, hey, uh, whatever you moved in the tambourine, like you need to move it back. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't touch that. Like <laughs> I didn't do anything. <laughs> Um, and I think with within that, you know, when you get a master back, you're hearing things differently. Like it's going to be different, most likely. Um, and I think for a lot of people, they don't realize, um, you know, or or what's happened is they've actually had time off from the mixes finally. Mm-hmm. You know, like a few days yeah. or a week, and then they're finally hearing it back, and they're like, "Oh, I never even heard that." You know, when it was already there. I get that a lot with like um, sometimes pops and clicks, or edits, <clears throat> or even vocal tuning. Where they'll be like, oh, the the phrase on that sounds off. Like, did you do something? And it's like, no, I didn't touch that. They're like, oh. And they're like, can you check the mix? And I'm like, yeah, it sounds just like that in the mix. Listen to it. And then they realize, you know, they were, you know, sharp or flat singing. Mm-hmm. So they have to go back and fix that. So that's, you know, individual instruments, technically, I cannot fix for you. Um, mm-hmm. I can fix most digital pops and clicks um, with tools. But I prefer not to do that, um, you know, at the master stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something I don't do or have control over. Um, another thing that I don't think mastering engineers should do is have. Um, I have a hard time with like giving my opinion on a song, like whether it's good or bad. Um, I'll have a lot of people ask me about you know, do you think it's good or do you think the drums are right or this? And um, hmm. 
I don't That's really, hard. I don't like really saying it because I have no context. You know, I don't know yeah. how they recorded. I don't know who's involved. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know who mixed it. Or I mean, I usually know who mixed it, but I don't know what they got. You know, what were they working with? Um, you know, the source files. Um, so I usually try to stay out of all of that and just serve the song as best as I can. You know. Yeah, um, and definitely, it's like everything has its limitations. Like every right. project has its limitations. Totally. And you don't really, you're not really coming from a place where you're familiar with those limitations. So, right. I mean, what you might say might like accidentally offend someone when you have zero context of right like, what they were working with. Yeah. So I don't really do that. Um, I try to stay out of that. Plus, that to me gets into production too, and I'm just not. That's not what I've been hired to do. Um, yeah. And so, smart. Yeah, I, I try to stay. I always try to just direct people to what we're doing, the step we're on, you know, <clears throat> um, which is mastering, which is finalizing your album and making it translate everywhere. Um, and so, you know, that's really to me what mastering's for. And I think a lot of people come to mastering thinking it's going to fix all their problems that they've had essentially from probably day one, you know, where mm. they've been unhappy with a guitar tone and the engineer is like, oh, we'll fix it in the mix. You know, and then the mix guy's like, "Oh, we'll have mastering take care of that." <laughs> and then all Passing of a sudden, the buck. you know, they're they're to me, and they're like, "Hey, the guitar tone, can you fix that?" And it's like, well, I can uh, kind of shape yeah, it, yeah, re-record it's gonna, it. Yeah, it's going to impact everything else, or you know, yeah. I can I can automate something for that. You know, if it's a solo or something, you can get really technical, and I do automation stuff, which I find fun. But oh yeah, um, you know, stuff like that. It just you know, we're we're too far in the process to where I can't really help you at that point. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, there's plenty of people that get put in that situation because they just don't know. They don't know they can push back or they believe the engineer they've hired, you know, who says, oh, mm-hmm. we'll fix in the mix. You know, when people say that to a new band, the band just goes, well, he's the expert, I guess. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, that's what you do. You fix it in the mix. Like... And then, you know, the next guy is like, like oh, mastering. The mix engineer is like, oh, mastering will take care of that, you know. Yeah. Low, your low-end problem with my, you know, because I don't know how to mix a bass and a kick drum still, uh, mm-hmm. the mastering will take care of that, and you'll hear the, you know, the difference. <laughs> and it's like, <clears throat> come on. <laughs> so those are, you know, real-life things that happen to me <laughs> or have happened to me. Oh, but, I get it. You know, that's something I don't, I can't really help you a whole lot with that. Um and so those are things I don't do. Um, what else don't I? What else should master engineers not do? Um, I don't know. Those are kind of the main things that come up, you know, more often than not that I deal with. So those are that's my list. What's on your list? There hasn't been a lot that I've said no to. Yeah. Um, normally, I have no problem with offering advice on a mix. Yeah. And not not that like I'm going to go give advice where it's not asked for. Right. You know, uh, I'm all about if I've been on the docket to be the mastering engineer the whole time and the mix engineer's like, hey, do you have a second that you can check this out? Right. Something just sounds weird to me. Would you mind just listening? And it's what you're hired for. Right. Would you mind just giving this a listen and just totally. telling me what you think? Yeah, I have no problem doing that. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, it, it, it does, however, go against the whole you can only hear a song for the first time once. Right. It does go against that. That's true. But normally, when I do get something uh, 
<laughs> and I do give my advice. Yeah. Normally, it's compl- it's a completely different project from the time I hear it to when I get yes. it back because they've done something right. Kind of paramount. Yeah. Totally. To it. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely have no issues giving mix. You know, critique. It's more of the specifics when we're diving. Yeah. Into is this good or is this yeah. bad? It's like you and I'll just write back. It's like you realize like what you're doing right here. Right. <laughs> and why I can't do that. <laughs> right. Why I can't give you an actual answer. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> in terms of what I will not do, um, I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. It's like if someone's saying, like, hey, can you, like, fix something with this tone? It's like, frankly, no, because I, I literally have two tracks to work with. Right. And that's not really what I do. That yeah. That's... Essentially, that was the tracking engineer's job to fix that. Yeah, exactly. Um, before it ever went down. Um, what's what does a mastering engineer not do? I don't know. Like I'll, I'll pretty much do. I'll do or at anything. least try to. Yeah, I'll I'll try to do anything that anybody asks me to. Right. I'm I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't. I don't mind doing the the stuff in RX, like getting out yeah. pops and clicks. I'd prefer it not be there, but I mean, right. I completely understand when you raise the level. Uh, I mean, you're going to hear stuff you never heard before, Absolutely. and most of most revisions I have, um, it's more the engineer is hearing something after the fact once stuff's uh, at like playback level, right. They're like, hey, I don't like how this sits. Can I do a mix revision? Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, right. Just get it back to me. I'll rerun it. And I don't, I don't mind that. I mean, right. You can re. In all honesty, it, what I tell everybody is, get it sounding how like like the artist wants it. And right. I mean, let, they have a vision, and let's achieve that. Yeah, totally. And it, it's like, yeah, you get into ten revisions, it gets a little crazy. <sighs> yeah. But it's like you know. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Like you have little stuff where you don't like how, like the snare is popping out in here. It's like I can fix that. I don't like how, like the vocals too far forward. Okay, yeah, I can take care of that. Right. But nine times out of ten, it's something that was either not noticed. Like it's a crazy noise floor that was pretty low whenever they were mixing it or whatnot. But now at mastering, it's pretty high. And normally, I'll catch it before I send it back. And if they weren't intending for like a little hiss or something to be there as an effect, which I normally know at the time. I will just throw it through RX and grab a sample and then get rid of all of that junk, and it sounds great. I'll probably do it over a couple instances as to not slam it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't really mind doing pretty much anything. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I like the whole deal. Awesome. I think we, uh, I think we touched on just about anything. Um, I'm sure there will be... A way there's a way to comment on this podcast once yeah. it's posted. Yeah. Uh, if we missed anything, uh, or if you have a topic that you'd like to hear our opinion on, or yes, want to get know. in contact with either of us, I'm sure that information will be. We'll say like click below for for this, and in future <laughs> seasons we won't have to say that we already know. Right. Yeah, go ahead and comment below. Right. Right. Or something like that. So. <clears throat> so yeah. Um, you have anything else, Sam? Or are you pretty? Uh, you kind of I exhaust feel yourself on this one. You feel good on it? I feel good. I feel like I got out a lot of uh, a lot of things I needed to get out. So this was uh, this is my church for the week. There, <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, cool. So 
ending how we always end. Uh, morning, afternoon, or night, whatever you're having, have a good one. Have a good Sam, one, roll everyone. Sam, the music. Roll the music, Sam. Rolling.